Um, good morning, my name's Obed and I'm one of the leaders here. Um, again, it's always a joy for us to gather and it's also a joy for us to welcome um, visitors, people that are um, visiting with us today. And so if it's, this is your first time here, again, thanks for um, your decision to dedicate this part of your Sunday with us. We're a church family on mission with Jesus and our goal when we gather um, is to explore scripture um, and to think through how we can know Jesus and live for him. Um, before we get into our study for this morning, I've got several announcements. The first is, um, last week Saturday, if you would have been here at the church or you were driving past, you would have noticed a lot of cars out there. You would have also noticed um, several people out in a parking lot pulling out weeds, cutting branches, and making our parking lot look awesome. If you would have decided to park and come in here, you would have also noticed more people doing a bunch of work on this space. Um, as we are settling into this building, it's been a joy to see um, our church family gather um, and really do all they can to make our space, this building, um, warm and welcoming. And so for all of those that showed up to serve, thank you. And can we give them a round of applause? Thank you. And if you didn't show up to serve, whatever my best American word ever. <laughs> All right, um, the other thing I want to say, what if, <laughs> the other thing I want to say is, um, I think you may have noticed this, but last week I announced that we were going to have a membership class on February 4th, okay? Most of you didn't realize. Um, I did, and then we announced this morning that it's actually going to be February 25th. And the reason for the date change is because um, we, I, I mean, as a team, like a lot of what we do is done by volunteers, um, as you know. And we've realized that, man, as a team, man, there is a lot going on in this season of our church. Um, and to host a membership class next week um, after our family meeting and with everything going on would have just been too much for us. Um, and so we decided to um, pump the brakes on February 4th, and we've rescheduled for February 25th. We, um, there's a lot going on. As you know, we're hiring and adding to our staff, and um, Dan, Jeremy, and I, and the team just really want to make sure that our membership process is done properly, um, and it's not rushed, and also it's done in a way where it doesn't burn us out, Okay. We want to look after ourselves and make sure that we are healthy. And so I hope February 25th still works for most of you. Um, it's going to be the beginning of our membership process. And so if you're interested in becoming a member, please do show up. It's going to be a good time of understanding what King's Cross is all about. Yeah? All right. That's all I've got. Grab your Bibles. Turn to Galatians chapter 5. Verses, Galatians chapter 5, and this week we're going to be looking at verses 13 to 18, 
And as always, our hope and desire is to honor God's Word. And one of the ways we do so is to stand as we read it. And so may you please stand for the reading of God's Word. Hey, Franz, good to see you, mate. Surprise, surprise. Sorry, I get distracted. Anyway, (laughs) Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 through to 18 reads, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Verse 18, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. This is the word of the living God. Amen. Let's pray as you sit. Um, God, thank you again for this morning. As we explore all that you want to say to us, I ask that we all would surrender with open arms, be ready to hear all that you've got to say and apply it to our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And so last Sunday we started um, a deep dive into Galatians 5. Um, if you was here, um, you would have, we learned that the first section of Galatians 5 What it does is it explains and describes what it means for Christians to be free in Christ. We found out that to be free in Christ means to be free from the burden of trying to earn and sustain God's love for us. We also found out that to be free in Christ is to be free from from false teachers who promote false teachings that can cause us to deviate from the truth of God's word. We then concluded our time last week by briefly looking at Galatians chapter 5, verse 13, 14, and 15, um, which showed us that freedom in Christ doesn't just mean what we're freed from, but it also means what we're freed to do. Look at Galatians 5, verse 13 again. It reads, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Our freedom in Christ is not to be used um, as an opportunity for the flesh, that is to engage in sinful um, behavior, but our freedom in Christ is supposed to inspire us to serve others and build each other up in love. This call to serve one another is amplified in the verse that follows verse 13. Look at verse 14 of Galatians 5. It reads, For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. 
You shall love your neighbor as yourself. The phrase, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, originates from Leviticus chapter 19. In Leviticus, it's presented as part of a wider set of laws given to God's chosen people, the Israelites. During this time, during his time on earth, a lawyer once asked Jesus the following question. What is the greatest commandment? Jesus began to answer the question by quoting Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5. Look at Matthew 22, verse 37. To, um, let's read what Jesus says. He says, and he said to him, Jesus said to the lawyer, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And so after quoting Deuteronomy, what Jesus does next is that he cites love your neighbor as yourself, and he refers to it as the second greatest commandment. Um, look at Matthew 22, verse 38 to 40 with me. reads, This is the great and first commandment, Jesus said, about you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And in verse 40, he says, On these two commandments depend all the law and all the prophets. And so... In Galatians chapter 5, verse 13, we are encouraged to use our freedom in Christ, not, to indulge in, um, not for self-indulgence, but to serve others through love. And so now here in verse 14, the Apostle Paul, he cites Leviticus chapter 19, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, to drive home the point that this kind of love is not just a nice idea, but it's actually the essence of what the law has always been about. And so, if you are here and you profess faith in Jesus, the freedom in Christ, the freedom you have in Christ, is not just a release from the law's constraints, it's a call to a higher more fulfilling law, and that is the law of love. And this love is not just a feeling, but it's an active choice to seek the best for others. And so I wonder how this kind of love is being displayed in your life. How are you loving other people? What kind of love is radiating from your life towards others? But what if we don't use our freedom in Christ to serve others in love? What can happen if we abuse our freedom and use it to indulge in our own sinful desires. 
This is what could happen. Look at Galatians chapter 5, verse 15. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. The Greek word for bite is dakno. And the Greek word for devour is katesteo. Dakno, bite, okay, basically means to bite or snap in a hostile manner, just like how animals bite when they're fighting. We have a puppy, okay? He's not a puppy anymore, but when, he, when we first got him, um, he would snap and bite at our kids. He never did it to me. He knows I'm the alpha, all right? <laughs> never snapped at me, but when... My kids, our kids would play with him. He would snap and bite at them. Okay? This is dakno. Okay? Katesteo, which is devour, is more intense. And it indicates a complete consumption or devouring, like how maybe a wild animal might completely consume its prey. In the first century, okay, these terms were used in both a literal sense, as in animals fighting, and as a metaphor, wait for it, to describe destructive, impersonal conflicts within a community. When applied to the church community, dakno, bite, and katesteo, devour, give us a vivid image of Christians intensely pursuing and viciously tearing down each other. To bite and devour, therefore, signifies an atmosphere of hostility, slander, and division in a church community. And the church that, is, that has cultivated a culture of biting and devouring one another is a church that engages in constant gossip and spreading of rumors that creates mistrust and hurts relationship. A church that has cultivated a culture of biting and devouring each other is a church that experiences frequent conflicts over minor issues that often escalate to major disputes. A church that is known for biting and devouring is a church that shows a lack of forgiveness and grace with members and they hold grudges and resentments. This kind of church is also known for cliques and exclusive groups. This kind of church lacks unity because members are competing with each other rather than working together. This kind of church that is known to bite and devour is a church that is super judgmental. Members are quick to criticize each other for their faults and failures. 
And this kind of church has an environment of negativity and criticism rather than encouragement and support. How many vibrant churches have dwindled or even closed their doors because of simmering divisions and internal conflicts. I'm sure some of you have been part of churches that have ended up in this way. It's crazy to think that the greatest threat, one of the greatest threats to the local church is not from external issues, okay? But it's internal issues that rise up and destroy and consume everything. The other day, I was driving with my kids. I was taking them probably to soccer or dance or something like that. And I was with two of my kids, and I was taking them, and every time we pull out um, you know, of our home and our parking lot and we're driving, you know, my car has this thing where if, no, you know, if someone's not wearing a seatbelt, it beeps. It goes, beep, 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 you know, that thing. It's so annoying. Um, and it beeps, and it's helpful. It's really helpful. And so it happened as I was driving my kids, and it happened, and I was like, come on, guys, put your seatbelt on. And the reason I said that is because most of the time they get in the car and they don't put their seatbelt and the indicator tell me and I'm telling them to put their seatbelt on. And at this, this, this time, I kept telling them and I kept saying, I think it was Jesse. I was like, Jesse, put your seatbelt on. And he's like, I have that. And I said, Kezia, have you put your seatbelt on? He's, she's like, I have that. And we kept going and I was like, it's still beeping. One of you don't have your seatbelt on. And Kezia says to me, it's you, dad. <laughs> I look, and I'm like, oh my gosh. <laughs> I share this story to illustrate this, that it's easy to point fingers, and it's easy to blame others for the issues that are going on around us. But sometimes the root of the problem might be closer than we think. It might even be us. In a similar way, how often do we, without realizing it, contribute to divisions in the church? This is a moment for self-reflection, King's Cross. Ask yourself, not just now, but throughout the week, in what ways might I be unintentionally feeding division in our church. Ask yourself, am I part of the problem? Paul's metaphor of biting and devouring is a powerful wake-up call. If we misuse this freedom, we risk harming the very church family we love. So King's Cross Church, may we commit to being honest with where we're at 
and the possible ways we're contributing and feeding church division. And may we, as a church, seek to foster a spirit of unity and respect. Let us, King's Cross Church, embody the gospel's message of love, mercy, and grace. And by God's grace, we will be known as a church that is sustained for many years to come. We'll be able to resist the biting and devouring that ends up consuming us. And so, at this time, let's ask the question of how we can actually do this, okay? How can we avoid self-destruction as a church? How can we actually foster a spirit of unity and respect and love and embody the gospel? How can we actually do this? It's easy for us to say we need to love each other. We need to be united. But I think the follow-up question should be, how do we actually do this? Where do we get the strength and power from to do this? Thankfully, God in his grace has provided us with everything we need He has provided us with his word, scripture. He's provided us um, with each other, our church family. He's provided us with his incarnate son, Jesus Christ, as our example. And last but not least, to help us be a church family that is on mission with Jesus, that is united around Jesus and loving each other, God has provided his Holy Spirit. And so let's talk about the Holy Spirit. Kevin DeYoung says this. The Bible is not a chief infomercial telling us to change and then serving as an enthusiastic cheerleader. You can do it. We have a new strength at work by the Spirit. Being led by the Spirit is at the heart of the Christian life. And so for the rest of our time this morning, we're going to do, we're going to look at the Holy Spirit and how he empowers us to live the life God wants us to live. And so if you're making notes, first, we can live the life God desires for us when we commit to live by the Spirit, when we commit to live by the Spirit. And so, after instructing us to love one another and avoid biting and devouring one another, we are instructed to walk by the Spirit. Look at verse 16 of chapter 5. Paul says, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. To understand this verse, we have to first do a brief study of who the Holy Spirit is. In the original languages of the Bible, spirit is ruach in Hebrew and pneuma in Greek. These words mean wind or breath, 
and they symbolize energy, life, and activity. And they are used to describe the Holy Spirit because he is God's active presence and power in and among his people. Notice something. Notice that I have been referring to the Holy Spirit as a person. And I haven't been saying it. I've been saying he. The Holy Spirit, although described as wind and breath, is not a force or an energy, but he's a divine person. This means that the Holy Spirit is as much God as the Father and Jesus, but the only thing that makes him different is the role he plays in the life of believers. Because the Holy Spirit is God, he was there at the creation of the world. He helped lead the Israelites out of Egypt and empowered God's chosen people for special tasks. The Holy Spirit was with Jesus every step of the way from his birth to his resurrection throughout his ascension. And now, under the new covenant, the Spirit is poured out on everyone who has believed and surrendered to Jesus as Lord and Savior. The Holy Spirit is one of God's most precious gifts to his beloved children. He takes up residence within the individual the moment they surrender their life to Jesus Christ. I remember when I first surrendered my life to Jesus Christ. I was in my, you know, I lived with my mom. My mom was a single mom, and it was just my brother and I. And during that season of my life, I was just, I was just having a hard time, all right? I was a teenager, 17, 18. I was just having a hard time, and I just was struggling. And so, because I was, you know, my grandma raised me with the Bible and everything, I just went to the Bible in order to find escape and comfort. And so I was reading the Gospels and learning about Jesus. And at that time, Christian TV from America had made its way to the UK, okay? And so every night I would turn on the Christian TV channel and I would listen to this preacher. And he was from the South. And he talked about Jesus and hell and all of these things. And I loved him because he was so intense. And one night, one night, it was, it, I was alone. My mom and brother were out and I was in my living room. And he preached the gospel and said, if you are watching me, okay, and you can hear me, you can give your life to Christ right now. And at that moment in my living room, I knelt down on my knees and I said, Jesus, become my Lord and Savior. And that was the moment I was saved. And in that moment, God's Spirit came and dwelt in me. And if you are here, 
If you are here and you are a Christian, the moment you believe, the moment you surrendered your life to Jesus, you received God's Spirit and He took up residence in you. This is profound. Romans chapter 8 verse 9 says, You, however, are not in the flesh but in the Spirit, if in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Just as God once dwelt within the ancient tabernacle and the temple in a special way, in a way that's even more amazing, the Spirit of God dwells in you, follower of Jesus. This is why Jesus once said to his disciples, But now I'm going to him who sent me, and none of you asks me, Where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. It is to your advantage, Jesus said. In view of this particular passage, Dane Ortland, who wrote a book called Gentle and Lonely, uh, Gentle and Lowly, which is the same book that men of our church have dedicated the year, yes, Carl, to going through. He says this, because of God, the Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ is closer to you today than he was to the sinners and sufferers he spoke with and touched in his earthly ministry. The Spirit lived, lives in us and works through us. But the Holy Spirit doesn't just exist for these things. He provides more for the Christian. Look at Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 again. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. First, we are being exhorted, instructed to walk by the Spirit. Okay? This is a well-known saying within Christianity, to walk by the Spirit. You've probably heard it before. But the question we always need to ask is, what does it actually mean for us to walk by the Spirit? Have you ever thought of that question? You're probably thinking of it now, and I'm glad you are. What does it actually mean for us to walk by the Spirit? For us to begin to answer this question, um, we first have to understand what it doesn't mean for us to walk by the Spirit. First, to walk by the Spirit doesn't mean it's not just about feelings, okay? Some people think walking by the Spirit is all about emotional experiences. I feel like the Holy Spirit is leading me to 
climb a tree, kill squirrels. I don't know, all right? That's just an, a crazy example, whatever. Just came to mind. I feel like the Holy Spirit is leading me too. You've heard that before. Let me just say that while feelings can be part of this whole experience, it's more about aligning our actions and decisions with God's word. Adam Marbury says this, the spirit wrote a book, so being led by him starts there. Second misconception about walking by the spirit, it's not just about miraculous signs. Walking by the spirit doesn't always involve supernatural signs and miracles. But the reality is walking by the Spirit often takes place in our everyday actions and choices. Second, walking by the Spirit is not an excuse for odd behavior. Sometimes people think they might behave in strange or disruptive ways and claim that they're being led by the Spirit. However, the Bible teaches that the Holy Spirit is about peace and self-control, not confusion. So if you feel led to do something that seems foolish to you, to the people you trust and the Bible your feelings are likely wrong. Fourth, walking with the Spirit doesn't mean you ignore community and accountability. Thinking you only need the Holy Spirit. Right? It's just me and the Holy Spirit, man. Just you and the Holy Spirit and no church community is another misconception of walking by the Spirit. The Bible shows us that walking by the Spirit also happens within the community of believers. Adam Marbury says again, he says, tearing away from Christ's body while trying to be faithful to his Spirit is like severing your arm while expecting it to keep operating the remote control. When you feel led to do something, it is wise to run such promptings by your trusted fathers and mothers in the faith, particularly in the context of your local church. Fifth, walking by the Spirit is not just for advanced Christians. Everyone who has accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior has the Holy Spirit dwelling within them. Walking by the Spirit is available to all believers regardless of their knowledge or maturity in the faith. Number six, and this is the last one. Walking by the Spirit is not passivity and lack of effort. Viewing walk by the Spirit as just this passive acceptance can lead to a lack of effort in seeking the Spirit's guidance. Walking requires intentionality, prayer, and a willingness to cooperate with the Spirit's work. And so before 
you say, I feel like the Holy Spirit is leading me to let it be said of you that you've been listening and applying God's word, engaging with his people, and wisdom. That's what it doesn't mean to walk by the Spirit. And so, what does it actually mean? The original Greek word used for walk in this verse is peripateo. At first glance, you might think, oh, it just means walk, you know, just some physical activity. But in this context, peripateo is, uh, is packed with this deep meaning. It means much more than physical walking. It's about how we conduct our lives, the choices we make, and the paths we follow. And so to walk by the Spirit means to intentionally live each day under the influence and guidance of the Holy Spirit. John Piper said, walking by the Spirit is not a mystical experience. It's a deliberate, moment-by-moment choice to follow the Spirit's leading. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 again says, But I say, walk by the Spirit. And what will happen if we walk by the Spirit? We will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Earlier in this study, we defined the flesh as a metaphor in the Bible for our inclination towards selfishness, immorality, and other behaviors that go against God's will. That's how we define flesh. And we all possess desires that are driven by the flesh. Next week, we're going to look closely at the works of the flesh. Um, And so this week, I just want to give you a few examples of what it could be. The flesh could be for you the strong impulse to explode with anger when someone cuts you off in traffic. Oh my goodness, I thought I was this calm, cool, collector guy when I'm driving. I don't know what's happening with me, but when someone does something on the road that frustrates me, I get so angry, and I want to beep at them. The flesh is that sly voice in your ear that says, spend it all on yourself. You deserve it. The flesh could be the urge to bend the truth just a little for your own benefit. Remember that time when you bragged about your achievement and you did it so that you could kind of hope someone would be envious of you? Or the moment you felt that kind of pang of jealousy when someone had something you really wanted. The flesh was behind all of those feelings. The flesh is that strong urge within you to view pornography. The flesh is that strong urge within you to have sex with the person you're not married to or to refuse to make an effort to invest in your marriage You know you are under the influence of the flesh when what you really want for yourself and what you really want to do is in conflict with God's will for you. 
Like I said, these are just a few examples of the works of the flesh. Next week, we're going to dive in. Deeper into what the works of the flesh looks like. But, as you know, we are all bombarded by the desires of our flesh. But here's the good news. If we walk by the Spirit, we'll not do what our sinful nature craves. Walking by the Spirit is what will prevent you from gratifying the desires of the flesh. And I know you're asking the question, what does it look like practically? What does it look like to walk by the Spirit? Come back next week. (laughs) And the week after, because we're going to spend three weeks unpacking all of this, but we have some more work to do. So... We can live the life God desires for us when we commit to live by the Spirit. And number two, we can live the life God desires for us when we acknowledge the war within. When we acknowledge the war within. Look at um, Galatians chapter 5, verse 17. Reads, For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. And desires of the flesh, uh, the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. And so, verse 16 reminded us that a commitment to living by the spirit is what will empower us to overcome the temptations and impulses we live with. But then we come um, to this verse, verse 16. And things get a little confusing, okay? Things get a little confusing. This verse talks about this tug of war happening inside of us. On one side is the Spirit pulling us towards God's will, and on the other side is the desires of the flesh pulling us away from God's will. And so you might be thinking, look, wait a minute, Didn't verse 16 just say we can overcome uh, um, the flesh-driven desires as long as we walk by the Spirit? Look, if that is the case, okay, why does verse 17 seem to contradict the promise made in verse 16 when it says the Spirit and the flesh are at war with each other. If the spirit is at war with the flesh, that must mean overcoming the flesh, if we walk by the spirit, is not always guaranteed. Verse 16 is like this amazing promise. Walk by the Spirit, and you're going to be good and strong against the desires of the flesh. But then verse 17 seems like this small print that reveals this unfavorable condition. What do you mean there is war? Can't the Spirit always just win? And so what's happening here? Here's the key. Galatians chapter 5 Verse 16 and 17 aren't contradicting each other. They are giving us the um, full picture. 
While verse 16 offers a promise of victory over sinful desires by walking in the Spirit, verse 17 provides a more detailed picture that highlights the ongoing internal struggle between the Spirit and the flesh. In verse 16, we're encouraged to follow the Spirit, but in verse 17, we're reminded to acknowledge the reality that there's a war between our natural desires and what God's Spirit desires for us. That's why when you, when you choose, for example, not to gossip, by steering a conversation towards something positive or kind of remaining silent, you still within you have this kind of desire to engage in gossip. That's why even if you choose to walk by the Spirit and make a conscious decision to forgive the person who deeply hurt you, you still find yourself feeling bitter and resentful. That's why even if you decide not to do the thing you know is wrong, you still have this feeling in you to do it. When we choose to walk by the Spirit, it doesn't mean all of our fleshly tendencies instantly disappear. Rather, it interrupts them. This walking with the Spirit helps us redirect our actions and thoughts in a way that honors God and cares for others. And it's also crucial to know this so we don't set unrealistic expectations for ourselves. Let me clarify that with this quote by Joe Rigney. He says, In this life, the desires may still rise up, but according to Paul, they they don't have to master us. They don't have to rule us. We don't have to gratify or indulge them. We can be free, but only if we walk by the Spirit. So we've seen that we can live the life God desires for us, to live when we commit to live by the Spirit and when we acknowledge the war within. Lastly, we can live the life God desires for us to live when we surrender to Jesus as our Lord and Savior. Look at verse 18. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. In verse 16, we're encouraged to walk by the Spirit in order to overcome the desires of the flesh. But here in verse 18, we're reminded that if we are led by the Spirit, we're no longer under the law. While both phrases involve the Holy Spirit's guidance, walking by the Spirit, okay, we learned earlier, communicates our active participation in living out a spirit-filled life. Being led by the Spirit, which is what verse 18 is saying, because there's a difference. One says walk by the Spirit. One says be led by the Spirit. Being led by the Spirit, on the other hand, communicates the Spirit's role in guiding us. It's more about following the Spirit's lead 
often in specific decisions or directions. Think of it this way. Walking by the Spirit is kind of like using a map. The Holy Spirit gives you his word for your life journey. You actively look at it and choose where to go. Being led by the Spirit is like the Holy Spirit taking your hand and leading you down the path. You follow where he guides. That's what's happening here. There is our responsibility to actively seek to live and walk by the Spirit, but at the same time, we are being led by the Spirit. Look at Galatians 5.18 again. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Based on the context, you would expect Paul to say, but if you are led by the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Or he would say something about the flesh. Instead, he says, if you are led by the Spirit, you are um, not under the law. And so why has he changed this up? We've spent the last 13 weeks or so studying Galatians, and so most of you will probably know that this is not the first time this phrase has appeared, under the law. It's come up over and over and over again, and the reason why this has shown up over and over again is because of who this letter is addressed to. The Apostle Paul, who wrote this letter, um, he wrote it to Jewish Christians who were beginning to believe um, the lie that good works was not needed to be truly saved. And so in this letter, the term under the law, every time you see it, the term under the law is used to describe anyone who seeks to be made right with God through good works instead of relying on faith alone in the finished work of Jesus Christ. And so in verse 18, by contrasting being led by the Spirit with being under the law, we're reminded that the true guidance for a Christian life comes from the Holy Spirit and no one or nothing else. It's a reminder that salvation and righteousness are through faith and the grace of God, not through good works. Therefore, a person being led by the Spirit is a person who does not rely on what they can do to be made right with God, but a person who is led by the Spirit is a person who solely and completely relies on Jesus Christ and what he has done for them on the cross for salvation and justification before God. Being led by the Spirit then is ultimately surrendering to the person and work of Jesus Christ. And this is true because the ultimate purpose of the Holy Spirit is to help us see and understand Jesus in a deeper and in a more accurate way. So you know the Holy Spirit is at work in someone's life 
or is at work in, the, in, in a particular church when the church makes it all about Jesus Christ. Imagine a beautiful building at night and you can see that this building is beautiful because there's a spotlight, there's a floodlight that is shining light on it. The interesting thing about this floodlight is you don't really notice the floodlight. Your attention is drawn to the building the floodlight is illuminating. This is a great way to understand the Holy Spirit and his relationship with Jesus. The Holy Spirit is like a floodlight. His purpose isn't to draw attention to himself, but to shine a light on Jesus, making him visible and clear to us. This is how the Holy Spirit works in our lives. He helps us see and understand Jesus better, and he's the one that deepens and sustains our relationship with Jesus himself. J.I. Parker, who's an incredible theologian, said this, the Spirit's message is never, look at me, listen to me, come to me, get to know me, but always look at him and see his glory, listen to him and hear his word, go to him and have life, get to know him and taste his gift of joy and peace. And so, Christian, you are being led by the Spirit when your motives, your words, and your actions reflect the person and the teachings of Jesus Christ. It's all about Jesus. That's why Jesus is a controversial individual in our culture. That like we can talk about God and like creation and everything, but the moment we bring up Jesus, the moment we say Jesus is God, the moment we say Jesus is God in human flesh, the moment we say the only way someone can truly be made right with the God of creation is through um, accepting Jesus as their Lord and Savior, things get complex. In his book, The Dynamics of Spiritual Life, Richard Lovelace talks about the need for Christians to know the Holy Spirit personally. He says that our failure to recognize the Holy Spirit as personally present in our lives is widespread among Christians. And Lovelace, he provides this crazy metaphor for what sadly seems often to be the case. He says this, listen to this. The typical relationship between believers and the Holy Spirit in today's church is too often like that between the husband and wife in a bad marriage. They live under the same roof, and the husband makes constant use of the wife's services, but he fails to communicate with her recognize her presence and celebrate their relationship with her. And so what should we done to reverse our neglect of the Holy Spirit? First of all, here's just, and we're going to unpack them all, we should make a deliberate effort 
at the outset of every day to recognize the person of the Holy Spirit. We should continue to walk through the day in a relationship of communication and communion with the Spirit. We should acknowledge him as the illuminator of truth and uh, of the glory of Christ. We should look to him, our teacher, guide, and helper in becoming more like Christ in prayer and in sharing our faith with others. As I said earlier, the ultimate purpose of the Holy Spirit is to help us see and understand Jesus better. It's to deepen our relationship with him. And so, if you are here this morning, and you are not a Christian, you have not made an informed decision to follow Jesus, I want to offer you a heartfelt invitation. We've learned today that the Holy Spirit's role is to deepen our understanding of Jesus Christ. But there's something fundamental about us all. We are sinners. And what that means is that we are led astray by our own desires and we are in need of rescue. The good news is that Jesus Christ offers a way out. He offers a path to freedom, not just from the consequences of our actions, but from the very nature that drives us away from God. Accepting Jesus as Lord and Savior is this first step you need to take in this journey of receiving the Spirit and allowing Him to transform your life. And so this morning, if you are here and you're feeling this tug in your heart and you're like, why did I come? My friends invited me and I decided to come. Uh, this morning, this is you. You need to recognize your need for Jesus. The Spirit has been at work, not just this morning, but throughout your life. And he has been inviting you to surrender your life to Jesus Christ. And so I want you to reach out to someone after the service. You can ask them questions. You can receive prayer. Whatever you need, do not leave without finding more information about what it means to live for Jesus under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. And so, God, <laughs> oh, God, the Holy Spirit, thank you for your work in our lives. And I pray that as a church community, you would continue to lead us and you would continue to magnify Jesus in all of our hearts and in all of our minds. Thank you. Amen.